Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcasts with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. Swing, a weak grounder to short. Farmer in, he has it to first, and that's it! A no-hitter for Wade Miley! Up late night Reds talk here on the locker room app. We have some people in the chat. We're excited about that. Gunner, Will, if anyone else joins us, feel free to ask questions um, throughout the process of the conversation. We'd love to have you, Carlos. You know when you go back and you remember, like looking for a Wade's no hitter Friday. I mean, I know he threw about 124 pitches. I think it was. Uh, what do you take away? What did you from like Wade's performance that night? It was fun to watch. Man. It was like. It's like old school baseball, just just keep missing the bats by just a little bit. You know, I know we've talked in the past about you know missing the bats and putting ball in play early contact. And I mean, Wade was the gift that old head scouts have been talking about. Let him make good pitches in the zone, let them put the ball in play, and let your defense work. And that's exactly what he did. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. I think you know, Nick. Obviously, just watching him just, like, consistently, he doesn't stop when he's on the mound, as we saw, obviously. He just, like, catches the ball, throws a pitch, catches the ball, throws a pitch, takes the signal and throws. And, um, maybe, you know, it seems like everything that him and Tucker called, he went with. I don't know if they shook each other off at all through the game. Yeah, you can't even get a sip of your drink in when you're watching Wade Miley <laughs> pitch. Like, I'll, I'll look down and get a sip, and I'll look if he's throwing another pitch. Um, it just he works in – Incredible, and I feel like he was even at a faster pace. I feel like I saw that early in the game, um, and, and it, I think it definitely plays into his strengths. I mean, the Indians hitters really looked lost. Um, I, I just hope I, I hate to be the party pooper. I, I hope that you know Wade's already getting pushed back a day. <laughs> um, I yeah. hope this doesn't. I hope this doesn't impact him. You know, him pitching. You know, way deeper than than he'll probably pitch again this year. But I mean, he was on, and, and you know, you could really tell. You know, like Tucker Barnard said, it was the coolest thing he'd ever been a part of. So I mean, I think it was definitely a, a good, you know, bonding moment or whatever for the team. Um, um, but yeah, he's not just a no hitter; he's just been spectacular this year. Um, just uh, you can't say enough good things about what he's been able to do. Yeah, you're you're not kidding. I went to his first start of the year against the Pirates. And I think he could win about five innings that game, but he was awesome. Uh, that was one of the Trevor Cahill 14 to one wins. Um, that was, yeah, that was the Tyler Nick went to home run game and he was awesome that night. So um, I know for like a lot of Reds fans, he wasn't the sexiest signing when they got him in the 2020 off season, especially compared to all the guys they got. But, you know, and last year he had, a, he was battling injury there for a bit, but like you said, like he's come out this year and he's been awesome. Um, I really like the story about him and his kid with the uh, Incredible Hulk temporary tattoo. And that was pretty neat. Uh, just kind of made, made for a fun story. But also got to cut the pinch hit today. So uh, kudos to Wade on a very fun week. So nicely done, man. Um, also got Nationally Player of the Week. Totally forgot about that too. So yes, like you said, Dick, he does get pushed back to Friday. But how about that cut he had today? I mean, you know, anything but a double play would have uh, done. And he got a nice pop fly. So I like that at bat he had. Yeah, yeah, nice, uh, nice job coming in, putting the ball in play. Um, um, he, he can swing the bat a little bit. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't, especially with, with with Garrett being out, you really have a short bench. I just, I don't know about fourteen pitchers um, um, all year. I just feel like, man, do we really need that many um, to where we're running out of of, um, of position players hitting? 
Um, it, it just, you know, it didn't cost the Reds at all today, but, you know, um, I don't know about that going forward. If you really need 14, what do you think about that, Carlos? That's a lot of pitchers, man. I don't, I don't think they need that many either. They need that many. They're in trouble. I, that, that's excessive. It, that's too many, but I understand the, you know, the way Miley pinch hitting and, you know, watching other games and stuff and when it's getting out of hand or, you know, just, just too many players throwing a, throwing a hitter in there. I mean, how many times have we seen Clayton Kershaw bat, you know, this year already? It's, yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, I guess the manager's got to do what they got to do, but I'm not mad at it. It's just, I just don't see the need for having that many pitchers. I don't understand why, like, because extra innings aren't going that long anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I might understand it more if there wasn't the three batter minimum where you yeah. know, hey, you can you can really mix and match with these guys. Hey, any advantage you can get's a good one. But I mean, these guys will have to go three batters. Um, I don't. I'm hoping it's maybe just an early early part of the year thing, trying to save save guys' arms, and then you know maybe we kind of get later in the season they'll they'll get back to having those extra you know plays. So I think the Reds have some guys like Scott Heineman, you know, sitting down in in AAA that could. You know, probably help the team, especially you know, pinch hitting against left-handed pitchers. Yeah, so I, I've got a question. I don't know. I should probably know this, but so since Amir got suspended, are they able to fill his roster spot, or is that or is that a spot that they're without? No, they have to bite that. So I mean, obviously, you know, it make, makes sense to have you know fourteen pitchers on the roster now. But yeah, you have to bite that. That's why when um, I don't know if you remember when the the big Pirates fight, um, that's why they staggered the suspensions. Um, so they'd only have one player missing at a time. They're not going to let them miss more than one at a time. Um, but yeah, any suspension, any suspension like that, where I think it's like an on-field discipline, you you go without. Now, if it's like a, obviously you don't go sixty or eighty games if someone gets you know busted for steroids. You don't go eighty games without a player. But uh, any of those on-field ones, yeah. So the Reds are without. But I mean, again, they're just not having fourteen pitchers. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll, they'll probably survive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, So let's kind of move real quick. I know we've talked about this for a couple weeks now. I know Nick has been talking about wanting this for about a year now. Um, But we're really starting to see Nick Senzel show his uh, defensive skill set. Honestly, he's been really good since he got moved to the leadoff spot, too. Um, I know he went 0 for 5 today, but he did score the winning run because that's baseball in 2021. But um, (laughs) I think it's really cool that the Reds have a guy like that to where they can put him in in the middle infield. He can play center, uh, and you know he came he came useful twice today uh, in the in the field. Um, but going into today, he was hitting really well. Um, I'm not going to obviously fault him for an 0 five over five game uh, once, but I think that you know um, you're starting to see his maturity level, his development. I mean, today was his 160th major league game, so I know I, I made that mention last week. He hasn't even played a full major league season yet, technically um, by game, so. When you're seeing what's coming from him, you're seeing him develop, you're seeing his confidence come along. Chris Welsh talked about that a little bit in the broadcast today. Uh, what jumps out to you guys the most about the development of Nick Senzel so far this year? Well, I think his his ability to play two positions and play them really well defensively is just is just so impressive. He is just a incredibly gifted athlete now yeah maybe maybe stealing bases isn't his, isn't his thing but he's he's very fast <laughs> um uh, and man he, he makes it look easy you know transitioning from from second to, to center field and i i'm just so glad and i'm trying to just you know be positive and look forward but you know think of all those you know one one run games that they lost where they had Kyle Farmer in the lineup, you know, not at shortstop. I'm all for Kyle Farmer at shortstop. Dang. Don't get me wrong, but when Kyle Farmer is playing third base, you know, and, and you could have, you could have had Sinzelli there, or India sliding over, or whatever. Um, man, that's a <laughs> those are some games that that I don't come, that I hope don't come back to haunt the Reds. But yeah, they're finally, I think, getting the most value for Sinzel. Um, I, I mean, Sinzel showing some some positive signs, but I think at this point. It's probably safe to not expect that Nixon Zell is going to be a, a a a star hitter. I don't I don't think there's enough. I think we've seen enough at this point to say, yeah, it, he's not projecting anymore to be a star hitter. Now, can he be a solid player? Yeah, and if he can play two positions, that just increases his value even more. And I think maybe that's what the Reds are realizing 
maybe that's why they didn't want him bouncing back and forth because they're like, well, hey, he's going to be our, our our centerpiece. You know, we need we want him in one position. I think they're realizing, yeah, Nick Senzel's not going to be the guy we can build our team around, but he's a guy that we can that we can you know you know sign guys and, and have the flexibility to move him around, and that just makes him so much more valuable. So, uh, kudos to him for for um, you know accepting the role and and thriving with it. And uh, you know, I hope they continue to use that, and I hope they continue to to try to find players with position flexibility because it just makes your team that much stronger. Yeah, it almost feels like you're filling out like a fancy baseball lineup when you like get those guys that are like first base, second base, third base, you know, first base outfield, catcher, catcher outfield. You're like, yeah, this is cool. Like, you know, it's, it almost kind of gives you that feeling there. Um, I'm curious for you, for your, you know, Nick, because you say you don't expect him to be, quote, a star hitter. Uh, but you expect him, you know, you, you think you believe he'll be an above average hitter and you think he's a really good defender, as you talked about. Like, to me, I always I kind of feel like now his ceiling is potential National League All-Star. I mean, Zach Kozart made an All-Star team. You know what I mean? He had a really good year that year he made an All-Star team, but he made an All-Star team. And wasn't. And I feel like Senzel project, can project to be a better hitter than him. Like, where do you see his ceiling for his Major League career necessarily? Well, I probably would have said his ceiling was maybe a 900 OPS when he came into the league. Now I'd probably say it's an 800 OPS. I mean, and that's okay. not – that's no slouch. I mean, that's um, – I mean, I mean, that's a pretty good hitter. Um, you know, I mean, you know, he hit, he had a 982 OPS in Dayton, uh, Pensacola. He was 973. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think we thought that maybe he could push a 900 OPS. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say if, if everything goes right, I just don't see the power there. Now, maybe that develops, um, but, but I, I just, I don't see enough of the power for him to, um, um, to really put up those, those gaudy numbers. And if he had a, a 2016 Zach Cozart season, um, Zach Cozart 933 OPS, uh, that would be pretty incredible. But I think that was kind of more of a um, one of those just, you know, everything came together type season. Yeah. I still don't, I still don't, you look at Zach Cozart's baseball reference page and that season just, it does not match up with his career at all. I don't know how that happened. Uh, <laughs> good for him. I mean, he made a ton of a money goat. off of it. He yeah. made a ton of money off of it. In a position um, change. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. But, um, um, yeah, if the Reds ever get that out of Nick Senzel, I'd be very surprised if, if he put up that kind of season. But you never know. I'd love to be wrong. So, Carlos, let me ask you this, because Nick brought it up a little bit, <clears throat> where Senzel's this really good base runner but for some reason can't steal. Have you ever seen a guy that fast who has been struggled that much to steal bases? Uh, yeah. Chris Dickerson was that way. I mean, really? That guy, he could fly. He could fly in the outfield. I don't, I don't know what his stolen base numbers were in the big leagues. I just know in the big leagues or in the minors, he just he was always getting caught trying to steal bases. And he just, like – he was fast out of the box. He could turn in a single into a double like no other. He could stretch a double into a triple. Like I said, he he was tracking balls down in the gas, but I just he couldn't he couldn't steal second base. And it's just that her first couple of steps. That's all it's about. I mean, every great base stealer will tell you it's the it's the first couple of steps, and it's it's not there for either one of them. Um, and yeah, I mean the numbers show. He's he's got to give that a rest. It's it's not there for him. Yeah, I mean you have to be close to seventy percent. I know Chris Wells mentioned on the broadcast, but you have to be close to to seventy percent for it to to be a break even point. And and I don't know. I mean you know you look at where he's hitting in the lineup. I mean he's he's hitting in front of Winker and Castellanos, who half of their hits are extra base hits, and that's not an exaggeration. I'm looking it up right now. Literally about half of their hits are extra base hits. So. Uh, man, you better really have a good lead. You better feel like you've stolen one off the pitcher if you're going to steal. Just because at the rate he's at right now, it's it's not a good it's not a good risk for the Reds. Yeah, it, it reminds me almost of like the it's it's coming around like how the bunting how the no bunting um, the thing was several years back like. It took so long for managers to realize that, hey, butting your guy over with nobody out uh, to get one out with a guy on second base, it lessens your odds on scoring than, you know, nobody out with a runner on first. And they're, like, slowly getting there. Like, 
hey guys, you don't need to steal second base. It's it's not that big of a difference, especially when you have guys that are on base machines. Like you don't need to do that. Don't make it out unless you know you're going to get there. Like you said, seventy percent of the time because you're just costing your team's uh, outs and runs. And I, I I feel like it's slowly catching on and it's getting there and it'll get there soon. Will Gunner Max, if you guys have any questions you want to ask us while you're here, first off, thanks for joining us. By all means, we're happy to answer anything you guys send us. Um, but let's kind of keep this positive Reds at bats and offense going, guys. As uh, as we saw today, um, one former Sam Lequeur mentioned that maybe the Reds' best lineup was without Eugenio Suarez, and he responded with a multi-hit game, including the game-winning base-clearing double and extra innings. So, Nick, Gino had a very nice series. Um, he was starting to kind of, you know, looked like he was getting a little more confident. We obviously got that really funny clip of him in the in the dugout where after he was celebrating when Senzel scoring to go ahead run. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you have been pro. This is going to turn around for Eugenio Suarez. His career trajectory shows that it, this is just a blip in the radar. So how confident are you feeling in the in the start, hopefully, of the turnaround of Gino's season? I am 100% confident that Eugenio Suarez at the end of the year will be an above-average hitter, uh, 100%. Um, now, is he going to be the, the 2019-2018, you know, 900 OPS guy? I, I don't know about that, but I don't think he needs to be that. I think if he can get close to an 800 OPS, you know, maybe get a little above it. He wasn't that far off last year. I think he was 780-something. Um, that is plenty good enough for this team with, with, with the guys that are going to be hitting in front of him. Um, he's just, you know, he had a slow start last year. He had, he's had a slow start this year. You know, I think people make too big of a deal with how bad a player looks when they're going bad. Like when you're going bad, you look bad. Like it, it you know, like you're not going to look good. I, 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 I don't remember too many players that, you know, are striking out and, that that look good striking out, you know, like it's just one of those things, the way he um, provides his value is power. So when, you know, we saw with Adam Dunn, you know, Adam Dunn, when he looked bad, he looked really bad. Yeah. Um, but man, Reverse. when he looked good, yeah. Well, when he looked good, oh man, you know, and I think that's what you're going to see with this team this year. Um, um, I think Winker's probably the one guy you're probably going to be able to count on to be more consistent. Um, but but even you know Castellanos, Mustakis, um, Suarez, they're all going to be you know streakier guys just because of kind of the way their production falls, and that's okay. You just hope they're not all slumping at the same time, and um, you know they can kind of pick each other up, and you know hopefully Suarez can do that down the road for the Reds. Carlos, do you have anything you want to add to that, man? Um, I mean, I, I think Suarez is going to be fine. He, he's coming around. You can see him getting more excited, more relaxed, even in the dugout, the way he's approaching, the way he's taking pitches. Um, you know, a couple of ABs where he lined out or hit the ball hard, just missed the ball. Like, you can tell that's a good swing. Guy, I remember yesterday, he put a really good swing on a ball that he hit. I think it was to right center field yesterday. Um, that was a line shot, and I was like, oh, if I saw that as an opposing pitcher, I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. We're in trouble because, I mean, that, that swing was good. He waited on the ball. He went with it. He missed it by a tenth of a second, missed it by a millimeter on the barrel. Um, he, he's coming around. He's going to be just fine. And if uh, Sam LeCure wants to die on that hill and become a <laughs> Brenneman, keep at it. Keep at it, buddy. Keep at it. Keep tearing your uh, the team you're covering down. You'll be fine. It was just such a weird time to 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 call for Suarez to be benched. Like, like I didn't agree with people saying last week. You know, hey, he needs to be benched for a couple of days. But I at least like understood it. But why would you bench the guy against the Pirates and the Rockies? Like, if any pitching staff is going to get him going, it's the Pirates and then the Rockies and Coors Field. Like, that's where you want him. Now, if, if, if come Sunday he's had a terrible series in Colorado, okay, maybe you can look at that next week. But just was such a bizarre week to, to say <laughs> you should bench him. Like, this is, no, this is how you get him going. You're not going to get going sitting on the bench. Yeah, now's, 
now's not the time. Whenever you have Joey on the shelf for another three or four weeks, there's not somebody you can just plug in to make that lineup hold for him to sit three, four games. Like you're going to, you're going to put your man out there. You, you paid him. You want him to produce, let him produce, let him work it out. You're not going to put, you know, whoever, I'm not going to name a name, but you're like put whoever at third base just to fill it in for three or four weeks. So he can get some rest and, or get his mind right. Like, you need to put those guys out there and let them play in a perfect world. Like last year, Joey was struggling. Like he didn't need the rest. He needed more ABs to get right. You need more ABs. You need more as a pitcher, like Amir Garrett's been struggling. You need to throw more pitches. It's not less. You have to work that kind of stuff out. It's And like you said, it's, I mean, what better opportunity than against the Rockies and the Pirates and whoever else they have coming up. I mean, He's got to be in a lineup, and I have all the faith in the world in him. Yeah, I think I think too much was made of of Votto last year. I mean, one of the games that he sat was a doubleheader game, right? You know, so, and it was also a sixty game season where you don't have one hundred and sixty two games to figure it out. You know, um, you don't have to be as 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 know, as desperate or whatever. And to Carlos's point, the Reds had more options last year. You know, they weren't. You know playing replacement level players in, in, instead, you know, to, to, to fill in. Um, and so I think a couple of those games were against left-handed pitchers too. So I, I just don't think those two, two situations, you know, correlate at all to, to Suarez. Again, if he's, if he's, if he has a really bad series in Colorado, okay. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you should, you know, sit a couple games and, you know, you know, relax and whatnot, but this is not the time. Yeah. Like, where are you well, at I'll definitely get right your now? questions up. Like where he's at in the lineup Yo, right now, Carlos, hitting six. Like where he's at in the lineup right now, hitting six, like producing every now. Perfect, that's fine. Move him down in the lineup. Don't sit him because he needs the work. He needs the the abs. He needs the repetition. Move him down in the lineup. That's the best case. You know, that's that's the perfect thing that David Bell did. Not sitting him. Move him down in the lineup. Take the stress off. Relax, go out there, have fun, do what you do. Come back. We need you. We'll see you in a little bit. Well, we'll definitely get to your question right after this, but I have to keep going on Suarez. I'm only asking this question because I know how much Nick loves old man baseball narrative, and <laughs> I know that he'll probably roll his eyes at this question, but you know it's, it's been asked already. Do you think he's hitting better because he got moved back to third base? I, I don't think that has <laughs> anything to do with it. Um, I think people love to find whatever they can oh, yeah. find and whatever reach they can find to why someone's struggling. Sometimes dudes are just struggling because they're struggling, you know, like he, 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 he wasn't much better through the first like three weeks of last year. Um, he, he really struggled out of the gates last year and he wasn't playing, he wasn't playing shortstop then. And there was, I think even maybe a deeper lineup last year with, with more guys and they had a DH and, so yeah, I, I I think that's that's overblown. But if that makes people feel better, I mean, you know, uh, go for it. I honestly, I hope Suarez's final line on the year. I hope he hits one ninety nine with like an eight hundred plus OPS, just because <laughs> I think that would would really tick people off, and I would enjoy it. I agree. I definitely agree. With that one ninety nine um, above average player. That's those are my those are my like the Joey Gallo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hell, like, I mean, you know, you brought up Adam Dunn earlier. He'd always throw, like, a 210 out there, but his on base would be, like, 38, 388 and things like that. And it was, like, people still shit on him so much. It's like, God. Yeah. Adam never had one of those special 199 above average seasons. He was close, but he never he never <laughs> got there. Never got there. Shame. I, I think the thing that's jumped out to me the most about Suarez, and we'll, we'll, we'll move after this. Dude, he's out there playing in Jordan 1s, like – how about the swagger on the field? I got to give him props for that. I mean, I just give him props for, you know, his his positivity because man, like yeah. it has got to it's got to suck being out there and, you know, I'm sure at times he got to feels like he's on an island, you know, like like you know, man, I am not hitting, you know, I I I'm one of the higher paid guys on this team, you know, and but man, every day he's out there, you know, cheering everyone on, you know, um um, just so excited. It's just, he's just, he, he, every day I feel like 
even during the slump, every day I feel like he climbs up like my all-time favorite Reds. I just think he's just one of the the, the great Reds personalities of all time. And I'm I'm so happy he's on this team. I agree. So Will asks, and you go, I'll get I'll get both of you guys' thoughts on this. Your how do you guys feel about Castillo? I'm 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 ex- understanding. Will correct me if I'm wrong here. You're asking in regards to how he's been how his stat line hasn't looked the best so far this year, correct? Well, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, we'll run with that. So, yeah. He yeah, he said yes. <laughs> okay. So, yes, he was moved up to tomorrow's game against Colorado. Um, obviously, a pitcher who isn't throwing his best. It's always scary to go to Coors Field. But I don't think I'm at the point yet where, you know, we've, we've talked about this every week, not just about. I don't think I'm at panic level just yet. Um, I think a lot of the situations Nick's brought up, like, a lot of coincidental things that have happened, whether it's he gets squeezed on one play, one pitch, the next swing, the next swing, the guy puts the ball into the gap. Uh, it's just little things like that. I do think his velocity being down has been a little surprising so far, um, but that's something I expect we'll probably get up, get back up to normal standard in a few years. But I'm not panicking again, Luis Castillo. You know, maybe next week in that in that stretch against the Giants and the and the Brewers, if he has a, two, a couple bad outings there, maybe that's when I'll probably start thinking about it. But right now, I still feel okay. Yeah, his velocity's yeah, uh, down. Go ahead, down, sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. His velocity's down a mile from last year, but it's actually ahead of 2019 and 2018. So um, I don't I don't think there's anything too big to make about that because he was a good pitcher in 18 and 19, and his fastball velocity was actually a little bit lower. Um, sorry, Carlos, go ahead. No, I, I just I'm, – I'm not worried about it. Um, I guess now it's kind of on my radar a little bit, just kind of watching a little bit more closely because, you know, the velocity is really not down like we, like y'all just said, but, you know, his stuff isn't quite there yet. Maybe who knows what's going on. He could have a little, a little nagging injury or something he's trying to get over, which the team won't make public. Um, it could, it could be a, a, a variety of things, but, Right now, I'm, I'm not at the point to where I'm panicking or worrying about it because, you know, they've got a number one guy in Sonny. Um, he's going to be right there with him. Um, if, if he's healthy and everything keeps going right. And I have, you know, you, you've seen the depth on his changeup, on the slider sometimes, the run on his two seams to where you know it's there. So it's just a matter of him putting it together. Maybe it was just a slow start, and pitchers have that sometimes. Um I mean, just to answer the question, no, I'm not. I'm not worried about it yet. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm. I'm not. Honestly, if you had, it's, if you made me, you know, gun to my head, who do you think I'm more worried about? I probably would be more worried about Suarez than Castillo. Um, but I'm. I'm not really worried that much about either of them. Um, Castillo's strikeouts to this point are are the biggest like number that's that's jumps off the table. It's below seven per nine. Um, I just I don't see how Luis Castillo is not going to be striking guys out as the season goes on. Um, I, I think that that you know some teams have probably had some really good scouting reports on him. Um, um, they, they've been able to pick up on some things. Um, the defense, like like Tim mentioned, has been really terrible during his starts um, and, and has been a big contributor. But the the one number, and, and maybe I'm cherry picking a little bit here, but the one number that I look at. It, it, that really jumps off is the the xFIP so like his expected um fielding independent pitching which is you know I won't get into all of it but 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 pretty much like like what is expected like era should almost be is 4.03 his projection from zips this year is 3.81 so he's not really that far off um I think people I think that that the numbers he put up last year, um, with that 3.21 ERA, I think that's probably um, um, like his ceiling. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to put that up every year. I think he's probably more of a three mid threes pitcher, which is still really, really, really good. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think by the end of the year, um, um, his numbers look fine. I would just I would caution everyone in Coors Field if he gives up you know two if he gives up two runs in the right. first inning, don't panic like it's Coors Field. If he go, if he gives you seven innings of four runs in Coors Field, I'm going to sign up for that. I think that would be a fine start. So oh, it's um, so hard to pitch in Coors Field. 
that ball does not come off your fingers the same way. It, I mean, it's such a difference than pitching there or in pitching in the Midwest where the ball is just sticky off your hand. It's it's such a difference. So whatever happens in Coors Fields, I'm going to take it with a stride. But, like, with Castillo, like, just seeing him pitch and, you know, the last several years and what he's doing right now and being around pitchers like him, like Johnny Cueto, um, you know, other Dominican and Venezuelan pitchers, like, you see these guys, they, they rely so much on the flow of the game and how people, you know, look at them. Like, are they a dominant pitcher? And sometimes they get complacent. You know, I was a victim to that as well. I've seen many other pitchers or like, you're going good. Okay, I'm good. I'm expected to be good. I'm, I just got to go out there and pitch. And I think he's running into a rough patch to where I'm thinking he's going to be like, all right, MFers, you think you got <laughs> me. Here I, here I come. I'm coming back now. I'm, I'm buckling down. Like I really feel like that's how he's gonna be, um, and I'm looking forward to the to the rest of you know the next couple of months watching him pitch because I know he's gonna come back. Carlos, one thing I want to ask you, uh, I'm curious. Do you think the the uh, the transition from the 60 game season to the 162 could have impacted him? Kind of from from your point to where last year he came this season. Oh man, I only got 10, 12 starts. I got to come out full guns a-blazing, whereas this year he's kind of like, oh, I got 32 starts this year, you know. I, I can kind of, you know, ease into it. Do you think there could be anything into that? Um, the only reason I don't think so is because out there pitching, he's pitched for another contract. You know, yeah, him, like, you know, pitching like he has right now, he knows that's not helping him. And – so, like that's what I'm saying. Like after these these starts, bad start after bad start, um, he's gonna start buckling down, man. He's gonna start getting nasty because he knows what's at stake here. At some point, you gotta be, you gotta look at yourself at the mirror and be like, okay, you know, maybe I'm giving it ninety percent, ninety five percent. I've got this much more left in the tank. I gotta do it now. I gotta go, and he's just, he's gonna challenge himself. And from you know, from what I've heard, he works hard and he wants to get better. And and I have all the confidence that he's going to do that because, you know, you see the flashes of the innings, the pitches, uh, the at-bats, like it's there. So it's just it's just putting it all together, remaining focused and, and knowing what he needs to do. Yeah, and I think to piggyback off your earlier comment, Carlos, about the fact they have a number one already in Sonny Gray, he's going to be right there with them. I think the other, like, re re uh reassuring thing there too is like he knows when he gets going that that one two three is going to be just fine you know because tyler malley obviously we've seen just the growth he's had this year minus the cubs game but that was just a crazy game i I think that's one of those pitching games where you could just throw it out the window and kind of like look at the other ones uh especially monday night you know malley got in that jam i think in the third inning where the bases were loaded and he got out of it, and it was like, you're seeing that growth, that development. So when Luis gets clicking, and you see where you're getting from those two, like, I think Luis understands, like, how much that brings the team up. So, yeah, I'm totally with you as far as that, the, having that comfort level, those other guys doing what they're doing. Yeah. So, I guess we can touch real quick, because we do have this. So, by the next time we record... Uh, the Reds will have played four games with the Rockies, and they have a couple games with San Francisco. Um, for those who haven't looked at the standings of Major League Baseball, the Colorado Rockies are a half game behind the Detroit Tigers right now for the worst record in baseball. Um, obviously, you know, there's an article that comes out today from MLB.com. We're talking about Trevor Story being traded where he could go. The Reds ended up on that list. Um, as we've all said, dream big, more than likely not going to happen. But this isn't exactly a great major league team. Um, they're playing a doubleheader right now against, you know, against San Diego. And so they don't even know who's starting Saturday. Um, but if you want to see what's going on, so the Reds have Luis Castillo going tomorrow against Chichi Gonzalez. Friday, they've got Wade Miley going against, um, is it Jermaine Marquez? I don't know if I ever said that. Herman, Herman. 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 And then Malley against, we don't know yet. And then Sunday we have. 
Chris Welsh said he thought that was going to be a bullpen game on the broadcast today for the okay. Rockies. And then Sunday we have um, they have Antonio Sensatella going against Jeff Hoffman, who, although has not pitched very well lately, um, does get to pitch against his former team. But also at a at a park park, he struggled in majority of his career. Um, so, look, we've all talked about it already. Playing in Coors Field, things are just different. Um, but you know, you suspect the Reds should be good enough to you know they'll be able to compete in those games. Obviously, uh, the way they hit the ball. You know, a lot of balls go in the gap at Coors Field. Like Carlos mentioned, it's not the easiest place to throw the ball by any means. But when you look at this series, knowing that the Reds are, is it fair to say significantly better than the competition or just better, depending how you want to look at it? Um, you've got to think, you know, winning, what, two of the four, you got to feel good with coming home for the Giants series? Yeah, I mean, I think they they, they should at least at least split. Um Winning three of four is not as easy as I think people make it out to be, no matter how good or bad the Rockies are. The Rockies do have a winning record at home this year. Um, um, so they tend to play much, much better. If you look throughout their whole history, even during some of their bad seasons, they do play much, much better at home. Um, so that's, it's a hard, hard ballpark to, to, to get wins at. The Reds have never had an easy time there. So I, you know, I think if you got two out of four, I think you'd say, Hey, this is a fine week. Um, I think, you know, Hey, you, you went one and five against the Diamondbacks. This is a great time to pick up some games. I hope that's the mentality. And, and you know, you hope you can win three or four. But anyone thinking they should go into Colorado and sweep the Rockies, like, you just, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a reach for sure. Ideal, but yes, definitely a reach. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if they do great, <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, we'd be thrilled, but, you know. It goes back like like winning two or three against the Pirates. Like, yeah, they're a bad team, but you know these teams win fifty or sixty games somehow. Like, they don't all beat up on the other bad teams all year. You know, we all watch the, the twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen still major Reds. league baseball players, right? Yeah, <laughs> like 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 they had good stretches. You know, um, you know, I, I don't think enough people realize like if if the Reds played the Louisville Bats, like they would lose to them occasionally. Like they wouldn't just beat them every night. This isn't football where you just can out physical, you know, the other team. Like, you know, it's baseball, you know, it happens. Yeah, exactly. Carlos, let me ask you this. Cause you talked, obviously you talked about like, and I'm just curious to hear this insight that you've, you know, pitched there. So you know what it's like there. Like you said, like it sucks to throw the ball there at times. What is that? You know, do you guys like when you, when you're ready to go to course field, obviously, you know, your time in San Diego, you guys were in the same division, so you went there a couple, t- a handful of times. Is there like a meeting that's like different about pitching court to course field compared to everyone else? Do you like know like what's it, uh, do they tell you what to expect a little more than when you pitch at like say Dodger Stadium in Chavez Ravine? Or, you know, is it just kind of like, look, this is probably going to suck because of the altitude here? No, they don't really, you know, talk about your certain pitches or anything like that or how the ball is going to come off your hand. It's, it's just a known. Like, this is the way it, that it is. Um, make sure you're careful. Don't try to overspin anything. That's, that's the main thing because, you know, even in a, in a dry, humid climate, if you try to overspin, all it's going to do is, is, is hang up there. So just, you know, trust your pitches. Um, and just try to execute the best that you can. You know, it's, I'm saying, man, it's, it's a big difference for, for a pitcher. Like you're going to see I, I'm, now that they have, you know, they, you can see the numbers on the spin and so like, I'm curious to see the way it is, you know, for somebody like TJ Antone to pitch or Sims with so much spin um, velocity to see what it would be like you know, in the middle of summer in Cincinnati. Like, I want to see the difference of those numbers because it's it's got to be huge. And, you know, like to answer your question, there is nothing that, that they talk about. It's just, you know, kind of be just a little bit more careful on what you're doing. I think does it kind of get into to, to pitchers' heads a little bit, you know, pitching there kind of as a, as a mental mental thing as much as anything else? Um, I think maybe if you're not an established guy, it might. Somebody like me, it kind of probably might get in there <laughs> to where you're like, oh, shit, I can't, you know, I can't leave this fastball over the heart of the plate. I should probably be on the black. But, you know, 
good established pitcher knows that outfield is huge. If they're going to hit a home run, it's going to be a home run pretty much at any park anyway. So just let your outfielders play. Just do what you do. If you start thinking about what a ball is going to do when it's hit, then you're already screwed anyway. So just, yeah. just, just pitch your game, go after it, and we'll see what happens afterwards. That's that's the mentality that you're you're given. That's the only way that you can approach it. Like you can't approach it hoping that something doesn't happen or this might happen. It's just pitch your game, have confidence, and let's go and see what happens. Yeah, you can't be afraid to throw strikes there, or that's how you get those 15-run games is because, you know, you walk two or three guys, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can't be worried about a solo home run there. You know, it, that is what it is. It's going to happen or, or a you know, let's ball into the gap. Uh, yeah. That's the thing I think that scares me most about this Reds team, especially, you know, some of the, the bullpen arms, is the high walk rate. That's what kills you more than anything at Coors Field is if you, you walk guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quick, quick little side note on my personal career. I actually, like whenever, you know, I had a screwball. So no matter how many times I threw it in the offseason, spring training, whatever, it just it never came together. It always took me like two to three weeks to throw it in game. Okay, now I got it. Let's roll. And by the time I got that, it was in Coors Field. And it was in the bullpen, and I started throwing my screwballs like pow, like oh shit, I got it in the in the bullpen. Coach was like, oh shit, but you know I had a good outing. I gave up an opposite field home run to Tori Alba. I forget his first name. Your Tori Alba. Like, what the? I was like, what the Tori Alba? How did that ball get out? But like I like I found my screwballs. Like all right, I'm here. I'm gonna stay. I got it. But I was already on waivers by then. So. Burr. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, stru- you struck out. I, I found the box score. You, you struck out Brad Hop, and you you got Troy Tulowitzki out on a ground out. Oh man, it was so. I was like so confident going into that. I was like, oh shit, I got it. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. But by then, I was already on the waivers, and I didn't know it yet. And I was like, shit. <laughs> well, the good news is the the Padres were down. Down seven to one, so it, I, I don't think you thwarted the ninth inning comeback. I was thinking about like those three years where Ubaldo Jimenez was really good pitching there for his home ballpark. Like how the hell he did it? Like 2010, Ubaldo Jimenez. I don't know if anyone remembers. Like he was incredible. Uh, but 2008, 2009, he was pretty good too. But like, yeah, I was like, well, I was curious. Like he had like a two eight eight in 2010 where he was like a Cy Young candidate. I saw him pitch in person right after the All-Star break against the Reds. And, like, that was the one guy I'm always like, man, I never, like, saw someone keep the ball down as much as he did there. Like, Jeff Francis was all right there, but when you look at his numbers, you're like, oh, God. Yeah, 288 ERA in Coors Field, that's uh, – I don't know how you don't win the Cy Young with that. Right? <laughs> um, um, uh, Roy Halladay won that year, so I guess that had something to do with it. Yeah. That's all we need to remember about 2010. We don't have to talk anymore about what happened <laughs> that ended. Such a fun year, but yeah, Bronson Bronson Oreo got a got a, a vote that year though, so that's cool. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you for reminding me. I did want to talk about Bronson before we get out of here. Um, you know, made his radio debut, calls a no hitter. Uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, over our text or group text. Thought he did a pretty good job calling the game for his first time. Thought he did like. You know, he did a good job, like, talking about, like, what a pitcher's looking for and what he's trying to figure out. He talked about his, like, Francona stories from there in Boston together. I was pretty impressed with him. Yeah, I uh, I put the game on and I synced up the, the radio. I thought I thought he did a great job. Um, um, just it was a really enjoyable, you know, listen to the game. And, of course, what a, what a great game to, to get, you know, getting getting Wade Miley's no-hitter. Um, I, I, he said some, some stuff during the broadcast that made me think, yeah, Bronson is not going to do this, uh, full time. I, he does not want to like be, you know, looking up stats and writing down notes about different players, you know? Um, but I, I do think he, he enjoyed as, as a fill in. Um, and I hope he does. I hope maybe he, you know, joins, joins Reds live, you know, maybe something he'd be really great in that role. I think people would love him in that. Um, I'm guessing he probably gives a little more praise to, to Suarez. Um, so, you know, hey, I, I'd be all about that. Yeah, what, what can he do 
do that because Barry does the same thing and he calls every home game. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't do any research or anything. At least, at least it felt like Bronson was giving me some insight into like what Wade Miley was thinking, you know? <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot less of Bronson saying, oh, well, this is what I did, or whenever I pitched, or this is what I thought, or I, 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 me, me. Oh. I loved like, there was a couple, it was a game a couple weeks ago where Sadak was talking about Winker. And just he's like, you know, he's like, his numbers are up here. His numbers are up here, and Barry's like, "Well, yeah." And so is his confidence, and it's like that's such an old man baseball conversation, just such an old man baseball thing to say. Like, we get it, you don't want to accept like the future, but man, yeah, there's so much with Barry. I mean, I like. I've never. I think I've maybe shook his hand once or twice, but I don't know the guy. And you know, talking with with Joey, he respects the heck out of him when they start talking baseball and stuff like that, but. On air, I was like, oh, whenever they made the announcement that he was going to be there um, full time, I was like, oh, gosh, so many people are going to be disappointed with their hero. <laughs> I feel like, I, mean, I feel like, I feel like he'd be fine if he did like, you know, maybe like a 30 game package, yeah. you know, where it was kind of spread out throughout the year. Cause I like him, you know, I, I, I do the thing I, I guess appreciate more than I thought I would is, is he is pretty positive, you know, Yeah, he is. which yeah. it's just for what we're used to anyone who's positive just feels so great. Um, so, you know, I'll give him that at least, you know, he said a lot of really, you know, positive things about Vada when he was struggling. So, you know, I do appreciate that aspect of it, but I mean, for, for 81 games a year, I mean, you know, you just have a guy in Chris Welsh who's so well prepared, who, takes it so seriously. It's just, ooh, it's a hard sell to, to, to push him back a little bit. Well, yeah. So, you know, Carlos, you mentioned like you're here, like literally I have a signed Barry Larkin jersey hanging up in my basement. Like one of my first baseball heroes. Um, so yes, like, but also um, just from like working around Xavier and like getting to know Byron, his, his brother Byron, who played basketball at Xavier a little bit. Byron, like, and Nick can attest this as a Xavier fan, like, Barry's brother Byron does so much research, like literally up till tip off. Like we'll be sitting in media rooms and he's like still learning about players. So he's prepared for the broadcast. Like if like he does any bit of the conversation that Byron does getting prepared for a game, like I think Barry will do really well there. Maybe cool he's to, there to come, ha- come hang out with Byron for a, a game and watch him prepare <laughs> for next year. Yeah. <laughs> Byron's always been really nice to me as, like, the little blogger guy in the corner. He's always made sure he said hi to me, so he'll always get respect from me. Um, there you go. All right, Nick, I guess we have this final topic because you got a Twitter question this week, and we definitely have to ask it because that clock is obviously ticking at the end of arbitration for the National League's leading hitter in Jesse Winker. And you were asked, and forgive me, the user, I do not recall who asked the name. I'll look it up later and make sure you get your props. Someone asked you, should the Reds start to get serious about extending Jesse Winker? Hold on, let me yeah. grab another beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was a really, really good question. I thought that'd be a fun topic. Um, you know, obviously, when you see a player like Winker break out, that's that's the first place you know everyone goes is, um, man, we got to extend him. We got to extend him. Um, so just to, to, to preface this, Winker has two years left after this one of Reds control. He's making about $3 million this year. Um, I'm not an arbitration expert, but I'm, I'm guessing that probably goes up to like $7.5 next year and about $10 million the year after that. So in a perfect world, you would love to buy out those two arbitration years. Just go ahead and you know get those settled. You know Maybe you pay him a little more than what you think he would get you know, to make him feel good. And then maybe you extend him like two more years. Um, so his contract ends, he, his first free agent will be his age 30 season. So I, you know, I'd be all about the Reds, you know, trying to extend him, you know, get him his age 30, 31 season. I don't know about, you know, looking at like a four or five year in addition to what the Reds already have. So like extending him like seven years out, um, I don't know about that. I just, you know, the Reds with with where they are and what they can spend, I think if you're going to, you know, spend that kind of money that it would take to extend them, I think that that money's probably better spent 
at a you know more crucial position like shortstop because you see how difficult the Reds have had trying to find a legit shortstop. Um, I just you know as good as Winker is, you know he he plays left field and he doesn't play a great defense in left field and and even if there's a DH, you know those players are are more replaceable. You know maybe not exactly at Winker's level. Um, but maybe not as far off. I mean, you know, you look like a guy like like Jesus Aguilar. The Marlins just picked him up. Um, Tyler Naquin, you know, the Reds just picked him up. You can find those players for, like, those corner positions or or first base or, or DH. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely would be open for the Reds looking at, at, you know, maybe buying out the two arbitration years and then one or two. But I don't know why Winker would want that deal. If I was Winker, I'd be like, you know, I, no, I, I when I get to free agency, I could probably get a four or five year deal. You know, I want that, or I want to go to free agency and let other teams bid on me. Um, so I just I don't see how that probably works out. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with with having Winker for two more years, his his prime years, um, and you know, if if in 2023 things are going bad. You know, you could always look at the trading him and see what you can get. But but even even if it's not, you know, you, you get those compensation picks, and those are super valuable. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world just to, to have a player now that is of that caliber that you just, you know, you write out their contract, you get that compensation pick, you thank them, and, you you know, you, you move on. Yeah, I think when it comes to, like, that situation, like you mentioned, like, Besides, like, Votto and Bruce, I don't know if, like, that's always, it's a, necessarily been a good idea to sign those guys to long term. Like, not that they're very, the same player by any means, but do you remember, like, Frazier towards his end of, like, Reds control? That's when he was, like, really good for a stretch. And then, like, since he left the Reds, he's been pretty brutal. And so, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, Todd Frazier was, you know, legit thought of as, like, one of the, you know, um, um, top stars in the game. I think he was. He was a little bit older because he came up really yeah. late. So I think he's probably like two years older than than um, than Winker. I don't have it right in front of me, but um, but yeah, I mean, you saw just how quickly he you know fell off a, a cliff. Man, you, you gotta you, if you're gonna with with the Reds with their financial situation, you gotta make sure that you know um, you don't miss on on ones like that. I just I don't know if I'd be I'd be at this point you know jumping to sign a four or five year deal. Let's let's see a little bit more. I'd probably be jumping more at Luis Castillo while he's struggling. You know, to be honest, those are the guys you want to target. Yeah, I agree. Do you think maybe you know? Just curious of your thought process uh, here, and we'll get out of here after this. Do you think you're going to see teams kind of back away from kind of making those those decisions more after like? You know, the Tigers are a perfect example right now. The contract that Miguel Cabrera has is brutal. You know, people will talk about how bad Pujols' Angels contract was. Miguel Cabrera's contract is atrocious. Um, but granted, at the time they signed it, the Tigers were AL contenders. They were playing for a World Series. But do you think you're going to see teams kind of back away from those, like, scary deals like that from now on? Yeah, to an extent. Um um, I, I think we've probably seen the last days of, of the Pujols um, Cabrera signings. Um, Vada was signed at a younger age than either right. one of those those guys, and that's why he's still you know a productive player with two years left in his deal. Um, so yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think you're probably going to see you know, players of, of that age get more of those Trevor Bauer type deals where they're massive yearly contracts of, of, of like 40 million, but they're shorter years. Um, but you're still going to see some, some of these, these GMs convince owners, Hey, we got to sign, you know, we got to, we got to make the science the only way we can get him because these GMs are thinking about, Hey, I'm not going to be here when this guy's contract ends. How many, how many GMs are actually with the team at the end of the contract? Not many. So they're still going to be trying to convince the owners to do it. It's just, I guess, it probably falls more on the owners than the GMs um, to, to, to put a, an axe to that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Like, I, I think the, the contracts going past age 34 are going to be a lot slimmer. But 
paying for ages, you know, 28 to 32 are going to be, it's going to cost a lot of money for those, for those type of players. And for, for like Winker, I mean, as much as I like watching the guy hit and play, I think he's, he's at his peak right now. Like I think, you know, athletically he's at his peak. He can, he's not going to do any more defensively. I, I think it's going to be a struggle for him to move to first base just because his athletic ability and his speed and his quickness is um, going to de- defer him from being able to play that position. And it's not as easy as people think it is just to go move over to first base. There's a lot of responsibility there. Um, I would like to see, you know, I think, what would you say, Nick, he's got two more years left under control? Yeah, two more years of control. So maybe add another three, get, give that offer out there and, and see if he takes it. It's got to be kind of like a low ball offer, kind of like a, you know, almost like a, a Eugenio contract. Like they, they signed him and that's a pretty good deal. Um, those are the kind of contracts that I think they're going to be given out. And it just depends on what a player's personal, you know, financial situation is. Are they going to be happy with a hundred million dollars? Are they going to try to bet on themselves to get $200 million? Cause that's a big, big gamble. That's a lot of money to gamble with. You got to be very confident in yourself to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and turn this five year, a hundred million dollars down. I'm going to go for seven, 200 because I'm going to perform really well the next couple of years. That's a lot to ask out of yourself. So, uh, man, that's, that's tough. Like I hope the Reds make that offer. I hope he takes it, but at the same time, you got to respect him if he decides not to take it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also do think it's fair to point out Ethan Connolly in the chat did point out the Lindor Tatis obviously signed some, insane deals this year for the Mets and the Padres, but also, like, I feel like those guys are kind of the, which I guess the upper echelon of the next generation of baseball, though Tatis hasn't been, I guess Machado really hasn't been the most spectacular this year. Carlos, you watch the Padres more than I do, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll ask you this, Carlos, before we do sign out, because I know uh, I've, I've been seeing your tweets, and I believe you're now the flag bearer of the Shohei Otani fan club. As the if you were the GM of the Angels, how much money would you be paying him right now? Fuck, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer. I don't know, man. I mean, how old is he? Twenty, twenty-six, eight, twenty-six. <laughs> I mean, three hundred. Yeah, I mean that's an easy three hundred. I think right. It's unbelievable. Like, I don't know, man. That guy is, he's a unicorn. He's special. I don't know who else is going to be anything close to that. Like, I mean, just think how excited we got with Lorenzen. Like, being able to pitch out of the bullpen and mix a couple innings here and there in the outfield, hit an AB, hit one home run. Like, this dude is striking out 12, batting leadoff the next day. Like, stealing bases, out beating infield singles, like, Oh, they need to throw that money at him now because it's only going to get worse. <laughs> he's only he's only making three million this year. <laughs> now that is a crime. Yeah, they they have him for two more years after um um after this one. Man, could you the Red, remember the Reds were the Reds made a yeah a heavy offer. heavy push for him, and you know just the fact that they got Akiyama. <laughs> You know, kind of makes me think. You know, they maybe actually had a chance for Otani. Um, I think he wanted to play for an American League team, though, so that probably you know eliminated the Reds. But I think if he would have gone to a National League team, I think the Reds might have had a chance. Let's yeah, not, let's not tease our fans with that, <laughs> Nick. Come on. Yeah, because I think it wasn't it they had Joey like record like a video for him or something. I think it was yeah. the story that C Trent put out. Yeah, they had a whole like binder, and I think I think didn't see Trent like get to see it or something. Yeah, something like that. Gosh. Yeah. Well, thanks to see Trent and Carlos, we now know the story of Joey Mappo. So <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome to read. So we've gone a little longer than we normally do. Um, thanks to everyone, Will, Ethan, for everyone for joining the chat and listening to us talk. Uh, we've obviously had a lot of fun with this Reds team this week, um, and then we'll be back next week after uh, during the series with the Giants. It's my last episode before I get married. So 
how about that? It's going to be pretty exciting to do that with you guys one more time before I go to the dark side. Um, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Carlos and Nick, always appreciate it. Everyone, thanks I, again. We'll... I, I have to axe the dark side because I think my wife listens to this podcast, so I do not agree <laughs> with Tim's, Tim's statement there. I vehemently disagree with it. <laughs> That's fair. And you no should. comment. Yes. <laughs> my wife also lives. No comment. <laughs> Everyone she would say the night. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> have a good night, everyone. We'll talk to you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.